How's everybody? Oh, well, yeah. Coffee mugs here. Looking at the comments for those of you listening in. Uh, Polish pottery. My wife got into collecting that, I don't know, several years ago now. Uh, after we moved to Maine, uh, maybe maybe been a decade now that she's been collecting Polish pottery. Somebody in our church family had... Uh, Polish pottery in their house, and Wendy really liked it. And it's kind of an eclectic set. Our friend Denise from Veracity has uh, uh, an eclectic set of the Polish pottery, and Wendy really likes it. In fact, she got some more for her birthday. And uh, so that's what this mug is, Polish pottery. Of course, it's got the, the reindeer on it, or moose, I guess, 
I guess it's moose that are on there, which, hey, that, that fits Maine rather well. Snowflakes, oh my, that fits Maine in a couple different ways. We have lots of snow out there. I don't know how much snow. Um, haven't been outside since I got home yesterday to check. I just know I've got a mess to clean up this morning. Uh, we have other types of snowflakes too, but we won't get into that here this morning. We're in Luke chapter 6, and uh, we began yesterday looking at Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick up there today. We were looking at Jesus' healing of people, uh, and we talked yesterday about how when religion gets in the way of righteousness, and sometimes it does, and we we get all wrapped up around, and I've watched it for years in churches, uh, we get all wrapped up around our moralistic you know, we need to do these certain things to be a good Christian, and yet sometimes, in my observation, in almost 50 years of following Christ, uh, sometimes we get so wrapped up in those regulations that we fail to love uh, as Jesus would have us love, and he demonstrates that right here. The, the Pharisees uh, were so wrapped up in all the regulations that they, they missed the broader more important, weightier factors of compassion and mercy and justice. And it's in the text of Scripture. It's right here. You can read it. And, and this is one of the tensions in America that we feel today between the right, between the left. I mean, one side talks about justice and fairness and mercy and compassion. The other talks about, you know, doing what is right and being independent and self-sustaining and working hard and all those things. Fact is, both sides need to come together and, and do it all uh, because we do need to work hard. We do need to take care of ourselves. We do need to put food on our tables. Um, that is a part of it. Uh, but the other side of it is we need to demonstrate compassion and care and mercy to people as well. So that's kind of where we were yesterday on that theme. Today we pick up uh, with Jesus selecting the 12 apostles. Now, he had many followers but he had 12 whom he would select to be those especially sent ones who would be his most uh, closest uh, confidants and his closest allies, those that he would pour the most into. And we pick it up right here in Luke 6. We'll read verses 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Now, I mean, we could stop right there and and just that part of the verse to consider how much time Jesus spent uh, there all night long. I mean, for some of us, the idea of, of praying more than a minute or two, uh, how can you do that? We need to learn how to pray for extended lengths. Jesus spent the night praying to God. Now, it's it, some of it is waiting on God. Some of it is listening to God. Some of it is is saying, Father, I, I want to understand your will, but to wait with God for, for an entire night. It says, in again, in Luke 6, 12, he spent the entire night. He spent the night praying. It doesn't say evening. It says night. Because then it picks up in verse 13 when it says, when morning came. So we know he spent hours upon hours upon hours in prayer. And so this is an example for us. And and I'm being challenged. I'm being smitten of heart myself this morning to think about the lengths of time that Jesus went into prayer 
Uh, Wendy and I were just talking about this last night in our devotions about uh, John the Baptist, particularly, and how different he was than the culture. And friends, sometimes I wonder how different we need to be than even the Christian culture that's around us. Is the way of Jesus different than the Christian culture that, that we have been brought up with? If we compare the Christian culture of our churches and then we look at the walk of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, how much does what we do in, in our Christian society and Christian culture, particularly here in the West, particularly here in America, how much does it align with the practices uh, and the pathways of Jesus? Are we like him? The idea of, okay, well, let's have a meeting to discuss who ought to be an elder, or let's have a meeting to discuss who ought to be a deacon, or let's have a meeting. Well, is that what Jesus did? Did, did How about going away for a night and praying? Uh, I'm thinking of our own church family that I'm a part of, not there much, but a part of, and you know, with uh, things like annual meetings coming up, something I plan to not participate in because I don't want to um, influence or affect things. Um, I'll watch it from a distance, but what about spending time praying, calling the church to prayer, calling the church to fasting, uh, calling, and those are Christian things, folks. Those are things that we should do. Sometimes when I talk about fasting. People look at me like I have two heads. That's exactly what Jesus did. He 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 spent an exorbitant amount of times praying. He spent time fasting. And when there are big decisions to be made, what should we do? We should pray. We should fast. We should call the church to prayer and to fasting. What if we were to have a a non potluck potluck prayer time? Hmm. How about that? What if we said we're not going to eat? We're going to pray instead. You know, some people say, well, you have to have food. Why? No. That's just the absolute opposite of what Jesus did. Luke 6, 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. And there's the list of names. Now, why the night? Well, he's praying through several things, praying through, I have, you know, all these followers. Who do I really choose? Uh, Father, who do you want? In fact, he would even choose one who would be what we would consider an absolute abysmal failure. Uh, in Judas Iscariot, but yet he's one who would be uh, selected. We'll see that down in verse 16. Here's the list of names. Uh, Verse 14 says, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. So there's two Jameses. Simon, a second Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. Now, which Judas and which James, uh, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Did he fail in his praying? I, I don't think so. I, 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 and the reason I don't think so is because there had to be one who would betray, who would betray him. It was part of what was prophesied. It's part of what was written. It was part of the plan. And Jesus knew that it was part of the plan. 
And so he selected and he knew one who would betray him. He waited on the father, perhaps saying, Father, give me wisdom, give me direction, show me what it is that I need to do. You know, this may not be the American way, but it is the Christian way. The American way is to get out the calculator. The American way is to get out the pen and pencil, the tablet. The American way is to stand at the whiteboard and figure out the pros and the cons. Um, That is the American way, but the Jesus way is a way of prayer, a way of seeking God's face. Now, I'm not saying that there was no uh, calculating in Jesus' mind. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is it was an extensive time of prayer. What we, we, we can't necessarily say unequivocally what took place because we only have what's recorded. And what we do have recorded is that he spent the entire night in prayer. I believe that's something the church needs to see more of. And it's hard. We, we, can't, we, we have a hard time prying ourselves away from our schedules. We have a hard time prying ourselves away from Facebook. We have a hard time prying our way, uh, ourselves away from the, the news feeds because we want to know what's happening. Well, the same thing that happened Monday night, this is Wednesday morning, is still on the news this morning. Uh, thinking about Iowa, particularly, hadn't changed any. So, you know, why do we spend our time scrolling through that? Jesus spent the night praying. Friends, for especially those of you who, who will be spiritual leaders, the call to prayer. You know, a, a church meeting coming up uh, at your church, whatever church that might be, and to say we're going to spend, uh, we're going to call the church to prayer. You know, uh, what about if, if we didn't have a preaching service and singing service and kids and we said we're going to spend the service praying. Hmm. Fancy that Christians praying. Well, Jesus did this and it's just such an example. And I have known churches that have done these types of things. They'll have 24 hour prayer vigil. And uh, I know Tisha Larrabee, part of our church family, oftentimes in the uh, confines of the uh, online prayer mechanism that is established, the, the Brassy Chapel prayer family page, whatever it's called, will say, hey, let's sign up and pray for these hours, this block of time. That is exactly what Jesus would want. So I, I encourage you, go to your pastor and go to your elders, especially your elders, and say, elders, uh, what about having a, a, a season of prayer? What about calling the church to pray? We have big decisions to make. Let's pray. Let's call the church to pray, whether it's separate praying or praying in uh, one-on-one, praying in triplets, praying in huddles. Um, having prayer gatherings, whatever it might be, spending seasons in prayer. This is what we see Jesus doing. Out of this comes in these verses, verses 12 through 16, the selection of those whom he would dub as apostles. Now we pick up in verse 17 and we read, he went down with them, and stood on a level place. Now, he apparently had been in the hills, maybe on a mountainside, because it said he went into the mountain to pray. And it says a large crowd of his disciples was there, large crowd of followers. There are the 12 apostles and many disciples there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. 
Uh, now, Tyre and Sidon were on the coast of the Mediterranean, so uh, you know maybe from the area of Tel Aviv south, uh, Tel Aviv over to Jerusalem, and south the area of Judea, which is the, the southern part of Israel, uh, says all who would come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and all the and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now it's very interesting. Power was coming from him. I mean, could they see the power? We, we think back to um, we think back to Moses when he spent time with God and came down off the mountain. It said he had a glow about him. Somebody can maybe find the reference where where it says that that Moses' face shone or or Moses' face glowed. Back in the Old Testament, it's written where he, as he came down from spending his time with God on the mountain or uh, in in the tent of meeting, uh, his, his face would glow. And friends, I believe that as we spend time with God, our face would glow. Verse 19 here, Luke chapter 6, speaks about power coming from him. what whether they could actually see the power or whether it was just the reality that, that the power emanating from Jesus they saw as healing and touching people, the text isn't clear. At least at least the way I'm reading it isn't so clear. But people people did recognize the power that came from him. They did recognize that people were being healed by him. And uh, so they were coming to him to be healed of their diseases, to be uh, released from evil spirits. And, and they wanted to touch him. I mean, it's almost like today you can see it. We, we, we watched the conclusion of the crown, I don't know, a week ago or so. And it's like the, the young girls fainting over Prince, uh, Prince William, you know, swooning and screaming like Elvis Presley and that type of thing. I don't know that people were screaming like that for Jesus, but they certainly wanted to touch him and be near him. And, you know, I don't know that they had police barricades set up and and, uh, secret service or bodyguards or that type of a thing. But but the disciples maybe served a little bit in that way to keep people from Jesus so that they would not be able to, uh, you know, overtake him. But people wanted to be near him because of what was happening. Through him, the healings and the setting aside of those evil spirits. Now, continuing on, we, we begin to get into his teaching of people. And his teaching is, is unique compared to the law says, do this, you have to do this. No, he, he takes a different tact at the way that he would teach people. It's something that we could all learn from. Now, he taught in a way different than what those taught in his day, and it was notable to people uh, that he was doing so. And people wanted to hear what it was that he had to say, so they listened. They took it to heart. And let's pick up and, and see what he had to say to them. It says, looking at his disciples, again, that's not just the apostles. This is all who are following him. He said, "Blessed are you who are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God." You ever feel bad because you're poor? He said, "Blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of God." Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. He's saying, look, you're, you're going to be uh, looked down on because of me. Rejoice because of it. You're going to be looked down on because your ways are not the same as the world around you. Again, Wendy and I last night in our devotions talked about John the Baptist um, and how he was so different than, than the world around him. We talked about it in our broadcast here, how John the Baptist was so different. We are called, as Walter says in the comments, are we as believers unique in this world? And I believe we're supposed to be. Uh, one of the translations says that uh, it's the King James Version. It says in First Peter that we are called a peculiar people. We are different. Uh, and and what, what's happened to us is we so much want to be like everybody around us when what we should want to be like is to be like Jesus. And, and I'm not saying that we have to become, uh, sorry, Fran, that we have to become Quakers. Uh, I'm not saying that we have to become uh, like uh, Mennonites or Amish or something like that. Uh, I believe that we can dress the way we dress and drive what we drive and live where we live and eat what we live and still be vastly different than the world around us because our gaze is upward, because our our, our sights are set on, on Jesus and, and we're looking to him for guidance and direction. We're looking for to him to to know the way and how to live. Um, and so these Beatitudes, you notice the laying beside one another of uh, of these things. It's a different way. There's poor, but yours is the kingdom of God. There's hunger, but then there's satisfaction. There's weeping, but then there will be laughter. There is hatred and exclusion and insult and rejection all because of Jesus, it says in verse 22. And he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Now, let me put this in the message, because I believe the message uh, may shed some light on this in, in a paraphrase that is here. Let's look at the message. It says this, then he spoke, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is near for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously uh, ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely because joy comes in the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb, if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. We will be assaulted. We will be insulted. We will be laughed at. We will be ridiculed when we live for Jesus in Jesus' ways. Now, this next section, I, I, 
he, he begins to pronounce some woes uh, upon the people, uh, particularly upon the religious leaders. And um, let's consider what he says. Now, these are just a few woes. If you go over to the Matthew uh, parallel passage, he has many, many, many more verses that are included uh, as he pronounced woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So, I mean, again, he, he gives this comparison, and this section that we've just read is something that we could sit down and, and, and put the verses. What is he comparing here? He's not saying it's wrong to be rich, but when we put our confidence in our wealth, we, we, we have misplaced confidence. Uh, when we put our confidence in our freezers, in our stock rooms, we have misplaced confidence. When we, when we laugh at the world and don't take seriously some of the things that are very hard and difficult and painful, uh, again, we, we, we miss the point of how Jesus wants us to empathize with, with the suffering world around us. It says, well, when men speak well of you, it just depends on which men. Uh, there, there's, there's a series called The Gilded Age. Uh, and there's, I, I will just I give this little, uh, there, there is at least so far what we've seen, one scene that you may need to close your eyes for. Uh, I'm just going to say it, but it, it really does show some of what, uh, what we're seeing here, woe to you when men speak well of you. If you weren't part of the right society, if you didn't have the right type of house, if you didn't have the right type of clothing, if you didn't have the right types of friends, if you weren't included and have a box seat in the opera, well, then you you are somebody who uh, really is, is, is insignificant to society. If that's the way we're wired, then Jesus indicates in these verses we're missing his point. We need to be different than the world around us. Why would people speak well of us? Maybe may, may they speak well of us for our compassion. May they speak well of us for our, our mercy. May they speak well of us for our care. May they speak well of us for, for the way that we conduct ourselves and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Now, he will go on in this next section, and I'll pick it up tomorrow, I guess, because there is, there's quite a bit here at the beginning of his teaches, teaching ministry. He begins, at least in Luke, the teaching ministry with the Beatitudes, and then he pronounces woes uh, and for us to consider. Hmm, that's where he started. He didn't start out trying to impress and win the crowds. He didn't start out saying the things that they wanted to hear. He came out of the gate saying the kingdom of of God is different than the kingdom of this world. And the way that you live will be different than the way that you'd live in this world. And so we evaluate, even back to his example of prayer, his example of how he made decisions is so vastly different. uh, And sometimes, sadly, so vastly different than, than what we so often do within the life of the church. We need to figure out how to become more like Jesus, how to be different than the world, not just not just for the sake of being different, but being different for the sake of being like Jesus. Well, friends, uh, 
There's so much here to consider. I mean, this is a highly evaluative section of Scripture for us to to look at our own lives through, to to hold our lives up to the lens of this, to to ask ourselves how how do we do in comparison to what Jesus is teaching, the standard that Jesus is giving, the example that Jesus is setting. Lord, hear our prayer that we would become increasingly like you, and that when we hold ourselves up to the measure of your life and to your ways, that our lives would, would have a general tenor of becoming increasingly more and more and more like Jesus. Help us, as is said in the comments, to be unique, to be different, to be like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, have a great day. Be safe out there. We'll see you tomorrow.